Christy, Jennifer and her mommy, just love each other. Yell, scream, cry, say, why'd you do that to me when I was a kid? You still screwed, you screwed me up so bad. And you say, well, look at you. You're ungrateful. That's what's wrong with you. You hash it out. You say it. You cry. You stick it out. And in the end, we're all related. Mitako Yeo Yasin. A box of chocolates Would I know To stay away What's that Pandora's box A box of chocolates Would I eat Them anyway Cause Every time I have Half a mind to leave you Babe that means I have Half a mind to stay Good evening. It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm Mike. Good evening again. And Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food every Thursday at 6.30. And this week I've got way too much that I need to talk to you about, so we need to get started right away. Let me just, I've got all this stuff crammed in a prepackaged can. I need to just dump it out here. Let me just screw off the top of the can here. Let me just get it open here. There's a lot of gloppy contents inside. I just need to Hold on, I just need to dump this. I'm going to spoon. I'm going to dump this all over the turntables here. And uh, here we go. This should be coming out. Here we go. It's nice. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Mmm. This should be a tasty show. Listen, this is good. Oh, yeah. You can wipe some of that off of you if it splashes on you. Sorry about that. But first of all, I do I do want to get to to tell you here that the the Michigan State Fair has started at the Michigan State Fairgrounds of all places in Detroit, and there's a lot of stuff happening that's brand new at the fair that I want to talk to you about. And at the same time, to rail against genetically modified foods seriously, because at the Michigan State Fair debuting this year is something that must be genetically modified. It's called a roast beef Sunday. Mmm, roast beef Sunday. Mmm, if I keep saying mmm, maybe it'll sound appetizing, but I don't know. Roast Beef Sunday, what is that? I, I was horrified to ask myself and ask the world. I cried it out. I wanted to know what a Roast Beef Sunday is. And as a matter of fact, no, it's not a mixture of roast beef and vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Although that sure sounds good on a hot day. There is actually such a thing as lobster ice cream. A friend of mine tried it. He said it was disgusting. But this is different. That's actually true. Lobster ice cream. You can probably order it on the net. But roast beef sundae is actually a dinner imitation of a sundae. It's in a circular bowl like you might have a, a hot fudge sundae or some kind of sundae. Instead of fudge, you get the roast beef. Doesn't that sound appetizing as a concept? Instead of fudge, you get roast beef. On top of that, a bunch of mashed potatoes instead of ice cream. And on the top is a cherry tomato. Yeah, so that is debuting at the Michigan State Fair. This is important to let you know. There's also going to be a Japanese food stand at the Michigan State Fair. And that does sound good. It is right across from the st- right across the street from the Miracle of Life Animal Birthing Center, where animals will give birth in a pen surrounded by bleachers, which sounds terrific. No, no pressure, Bessie. We just need you to give birth by 2.45 before the clog dancers get in. Okay, so... We'll talk more about birth and breastfeeding in a moment, but also speaking of other aspects of the fair, breakfast on a stick 
Now, when you think Ann Arbor, you probably think uh, The Rock and Breakfast or Food on a Stick. Those are probably the two things that come to mind first. Now, Breakfast on a Stick debuted at the Illinois State Fair. Speaking of state fairs, they had a contest, and the competition for Best Breakfast on a Stick the, the winner awarded two places on Saturday, the August of the 18th. One to Beverly Cutler's Sensational Surprise Dippers, oh, Sensational Sunrise Dippers, sausage, egg, and cheese wrapped in a biscuit with a side of gravy. And one to Anthony Carras's Bacon-Wrapped Savory Buttermilk Crepes. The junior division was won by Rachel Eden, who created an Asian-themed breakfast stick with eggs, curry, bean sprouts, and snow peas in a wonton wrapper. What you need to do is eat all of those three things at once and dance around to this. Oh! Mama, come here quick and bring that licking stick. Mama, come here quick and bring that licking stick. Mama, come here quick and bring me that licking stick. Horns, Mama, come here quick and bring me that licking stick. Mama, come here quick and bring that licking stick. People standing, standing in a trance. Sister out in the backyard doing an outside dance. Come telling me the other day she didn't want to be a drag. I don't know what she's doing. I think she's got a brand new bag. Mama, come here quick and bring that licking stick. Hope you're enjoying this experimental James Brown extravaganza here. It, it, it's sort of a, a skipping CD. It's sort of a skipping CD. That was James Brown. That is Licking Stick, Licking Stick, Part One Fourth. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah, that was good. Um, Okay, just mentioning, we were talking about the Michigan State Fair. There's actually some cool-looking stuff tomorrow, just quickly mentioning. It's the Latino Night Fiesta tomorrow. A dance troupe called Asi Es Mi Tierra is going to be performing tomorrow, as is a group called Mariachi Cora. But moving right along, because there's too much to talk about right now. The fact is that a lot of corn is being produced in a crazy way in this country, in part to feed the demand for ethanol. And there are a lot of there's a lot of talk about alternative fuel and what can be used to make alternative fuel. If you go to the Sierra Club's, the Sierra Magazine, actually, there is a recent article in the September-October issue called Bio-Hope, Bio-Hype, and it's definitely worth looking into. In the meantime, you should know that the corn harvest has gone bazookas, crazy, bazan, big. The Agriculture Department estimates the nation's corn harvest will reach 13.1 billion bushels this year. That's a gain of 24% from last year. It would be the largest crop since 1933. So the United States is creating more corn this year than it has since 1933. And this is, I'm going to read something, this leads me to something from the BioHope, BioHype article by Francis Sarah Whittlesey. At present, for example, corn is the source of 95% of the United States' ethanol. Although politically popular in farm states, corn is a problematic source of fuel. It requires good land and petroleum-intensive cultivation and fertilization. It can also readily feed both humans and livestock. Food prices are already increasing because of competition with ethanol. If the mill processing the corn is powered by coal, ethanol produces more net greenhouse gases than gasoline does. So... 
Is ethanol the most wonderful thing in the world? Maybe, maybe not. There's a quite a bit of discussion about that. Now, I'm going to slowly, carefully, with the sound of a creaking microphone, set up the next tune because, unfortunately, James Brown was tripped over by his licking stick, and we need to get this next song in here. And the next subject, actually, speaking of alternative fuels, Governor Granholm went to Sweden and Germany recently, and the idea was to get into the whole alternative energy movement in Sweden and Germany and possibly bring some of that expertise maybe to the United States, maybe get some companies out there to bring their business over here. But first, a side note, the tons of waste products gathered annually from the animals at the Tama Zoological Park in Japan are now being processed, both to power the buses traveling through the park and to fertilize the plants used to feed the creatures there. So, yes, if you go to the Tama Zoological Park in Japan, they're taking waste from the animals, they're powering the buses through the park, and and fertilizing the plants used, which feed the creatures, so it's a circle of life. Wow, man. So, in addition to that, from Governor Granholm in Sweden, she did announce that there was a Swedish company called Chemrec. It's forming a partnership with the new Page paper company in Escanaba in the Upper Peninsula. The governor says these companies will examine adding a plant to the paper mill that would create automotive fuels from wood waste. And speaking of fuels, I'd like to suggest this fuel. This singer here has an idea for a fuel. He's got a lovely bunch of coconuts, and he'd like to sing it to you right now in Swedish. Hade vi just i utav Huddingexpressen En dam i lilla som plattrik kommer fram Men och hudde lite ut i handen Sin Var är han nu då pojken? Jag ser det kommer han ju Far, jag kan inte få upp min kokosnö Alla sätt jag prövat har varit fel Med min lilla yxa högg jag tills jag blev stel Bordet fick hack och golvet och sprack Men nöten den är hel Far jag kan inte få upp min kokosnö Nej inte till ens med hammare och spi Hammare och spi Var vägg nu har Små märken här och var Det är bara kokosnöten som vi ser lik Är det bara kokosnöten som vi ser lik Allt det andra verkar mera kalabalik Det är bara kokosnöt som är lik Vårt lilla hus om du ser Det står där inte mer Det är bara kokosnöt som är lik Mina dagsatser bara Det är bara kokosnöt som är lik Allt det andra verkar mera pyromanik Så att säga Rank
Well, I think it's perfectly clear why I played that one. <laughs> um, that was I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts in Swedish. Uh, that's an artist from the UP up from the Upper Peninsula that was recorded more than fifty minutes ago, and uh, the guest vocalist was John Angler complaining about the use of coconuts as alternative fuel. Okay, that's a lie. It was uh, Povel Rommel from Sweden. He's kind of like the Swedish. Oh, he's the Swedish Tom Lehrer slash Spike Jones, and Fadjag kan inte ma. Ah, wait, I'm going to do this. Fadjag kan inte fa up min kokosnut, meaning I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, was recorded in 1950. Probably converting it back to English would be I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, but nonetheless, I had to try. Here's some actual news. Some actual news here. Whole Foods is buying out another chain of alternative food stores. I don't know if you want to call it alternative foods, natural and organic supermarkets. Whole Foods has been in the process of trying to buy a chain called Wild Oats, which is based in Boulder, Colorado. I first heard of Wild Oats in Omaha, Nebraska. There's a chain out there. There's a store out there, and it's pretty huge, two stories high, a wide, wide, huge space. Back when the Whole Foods in Ann Arbor was kind of smaller. Nonetheless, Wild Oats was huge, and I said to myself, wow, this is the biggest alternative slash uh, natural slash organic food store I've ever seen. Then came back to Ann Arbor, and soon after, the one in Ann Arbor exploded and got much, much huger. huger. Got much huger. <laughs> it was um, had much hubris trying to say this. But nonetheless, Whole Foods trying to buy Wild Oats. However, a federal appellate court has ordered the two stores to halt movement on their $760 million merger, so the U.S. Court of Appeals judges can gather more information. The court, this is from the Associated Press, the court is weighing a request by the Federal Trade Commission for an injunction on the deal while the agency appeals a U.S. District Court ruling allowing the two companies to merge. The FTC has argued that a merger of the two chains will harm consumers by eliminating competition in the organics market, which would cause prices to soar. Meanwhile, Whole Foods and Wild Oats have some time to respond to the FCC. They have some time to respond back. That's supposed to have happened this week, and we haven't heard anything new on that yet. But a spokeswoman for Wild Oats says the deal between the two companies expires August 31st. The deadline for the deal to close has previously been extended. So the FTC has relied on comments by Whole Foods Chief Executive John Mackey to make its argument that a merger would harm competition. In its original lawsuit to block the deal, the FTC said Mackey told his board of directors that by buying Wild Oats, quote, we will avoid nasty price wars in Portland, Oregon, and Maine, Boulder, Nashville, and several other cities which will harm Whole Foods' gross margins and profitability. Supporters of the deal, however, say that because more traditional grocers, such as Kroger, are also offering organic products, competition will not be stifled by the elimination of Wild Oats. I haven't seen the word elimination before of Wild Oats. They talked about Whole Foods and Wild Oats merging. They talked about Whole Foods buying Wild Oats. But will Wild Oats be eliminated? Will we no longer be able to eat Wild Oats? It's all very conceptual. In the meantime, stopping back to a minute on the idea of the roast beef sundae, which has given me a morbid curiosity, mashed potatoes being one of the ingredients, we're going to try another James Brown song. That Swedish tune really inspired me to play another James Brown song. We're going to see what happens if I press this button. Mandelot!
Oh yeah, that's mashed potato. That's sorry. Do the mashed potatoes? It's an imperative. Do the mashed potatoes by James Brown, and that and the attempt at playing licking stick, licking stick earlier on the show were both from the box set called Star Time on Polydor Records. It is a beautiful thing indeed. And moving along to taste buds, which are here for the purpose of us eating food, this kind of hit hit me, smacked me in the head. Now, first of all, the human tongue has about 10,000 taste buds. But did you know that scientists call catfish swimming tongues, which is a beautiful image, swimming tongues, because catfish have more than 250,000 taste buds located all over their bodies. <laughs> you imagine just having taste buds all over your body and rolling around in a in a, a mashed potato sundae. Doesn't that sound appealing? I think so. Now, actually, here we go. The, this this is from homeworkspot.com. The average human has about 10,000 taste buds, but they're not all on the tongue. Some are under the tongue, some are on the inside of the cheeks, some are on the roof of the mouth, some are under your elbow. Sorry, that's not correct. Some can even be found on the lips. These are especially sensitive to salt. And so the, the flavors we all know, the tastes we all know, the sensations, the sweet, the bitter, and the savory, savory also called umami, they work with a signal through a G-protein-coupled receptor, which I know you've, you and I have been talked about. We have been talking about that for a long time. Also, the senses, the tastes of salty and sour work with ion channels. So if you've got those, having those defective, you might want to go get your G-protein-coupled receptors repaired. There's a sale right now I hear down the street. Now, this is from Wikipedia, though. There's a popular belief that different tastes map to different areas of the tongue. But in fact, taste qualities are found in all areas of the tongue. The original tongue map, another beautiful image, the original tongue map was based on a mistranslation by Harvard psychologist Edward Boring, who was a serious party animal. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. Edward Bo- It was based on a mistranslation by Edward Boring of a German paper that was written in 1901. Sensitivity to all tastes occurs across the whole tongue, right across it, and indeed to other regions of the mouth where there are taste buds. And that is a very reassuring thing to know. So we've learned a lot today. This, by the way, should also mention August is Breastfeeding Awareness Month in Michigan. And we've had shows about breastfeeding. In fact, we've had guests talking about it. It, it was very, very educational, very interesting. This is actually the truth. Now, this is from the state actually, the state of Michigan. A recent report from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality confirms that breastfeeding is associated with fewer episodes of diarrhea during infancy, decreased incidence of childhood leukemia, and fewer cases of sudden infant death syndrome. The findings also conclude there's good evidence that breastfeeding reduces infants' risk of ear infections by up to 50% and serious lower respiratory tract infections by 72%. Children with a family history of asthma who have been breastfed were 40% less likely to have asthma. And uh, evidence suggests that women who do not breastfeed their infants, infants have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes, ovarian cancer, and breast cancer. And there's information on Michigan's WIC pro- program, Women with Infants and Children, at michigan.gov WIC. It is National Breastfeeding Awareness, Breastfeeding Awareness Month in Michigan, sorry. And because of that, I wanted to play one of my favorite bits of sound that I play on the show. This is a breastfeeding commercial from Cambodia. I'm going to read the translation in just a moment, but first you got to hear it. You just have to hear it. There's a little four-year-old boy, maybe four years old, talking to his mom because there's a little infant there, and, well, it goes like this. No, actually, it goes like this. Hey, you're going to be a little 
ដែលខ្ញុំបងទៅតែអូនស្គួតកកកន្លែងបន្តទឹកអើអូនមំទៅយើងតាក់ទិញណងណងប្រវល់ប៉ុណ្ណោះមិនគ្រប់ឡើយ
Confronted by por- confronted with Porpora's assertion that the whole thing is a hoax, Jerome reacted like a man who has been punched in the stomach by his beloved grandfather. He's sad. He feels betrayed. But he's reluctant to punch back. He's like a mentor to me, Jerome said of Porpora, and I can tell you that if it weren't for him, Westminster Hall may not be there. But to say the toaster is a promotional hoax, well, all I can say is that's just not so. So some people's nerves and, and, and feelings are getting stirred up here. Meanwhile, on from Edgar Allan Poe to Da Vinci's Last Summer, there is a new conspiracy theory. There's a claim that the Da Vinci's portrait of The Last Summer contains a hidden image of a woman holding a child, and that's provoking a storm of interest on the Internet. The figure allegedly appears when the 15th century mural painting is superimposed with its mirror image, and both are made partially transparent. According to Salvisa Pesci, perhaps Pesci, I'm sorry, an Italian amateur scholar, the resulting composite picture shows a figure clutching what appears to be a young child. More cynical observers may conclude that the double image is far too blurry and and faded to draw such conclusions. Mr. Pesci, who revealed his findings last week, chose not to speculate on who the child could be, but internet conspiracy theorists have been quick to point out similarities to the plot of the bestseller The Da Vinci Code, in which Jesus married his follower Mary Magdalene. Leonardo da Vinci websites received millions of hits within hours of Mr. Pesci's announcement. At least four, Leonardo Leonardo da Vinci.tv, I can't read the rest of them, uh, and Leonardo2007.com were still down on the day due to the weight of traffic. Mr. Pesci also claims that the superimposed image shows a goblet in front of Jesus Christ, perhaps a depiction of his blessing of bread and wine, and transforms two of the people sitting at the table into knights. I came across it by accident. From some of the details, you can infer that we are not talking about chance, but about a precise calculation. The Last Supper is one of the most famous and valuable paintings in the world. It depicts the meal shortly before Christ's death when he announced to his disciples that one of them would betray him. The long-haired figure who appears as a woman in Mr. Pesci's double image is Philip, the figure wearing orange, third on Christ's left in the original. The woman is Philip. The walrus is Paul. It's all clear now. It all makes sense to me. John Lennon, uh, Paul McCartney is Ringo Starr, and it all makes sense to me. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. This heat and the humidity is making me delirious. I've been Mike for quite some time now. We've been talking about breastfeeding and, and talking about giving birth and things like that. And I think a beautiful way to end this show would be to talk about the kind of things that pregnant women sometimes want to eat when they're pregnant. And I think this is an opportunity to play this record, which I desperately grabbed off the shelf because I couldn't think of anything else. Lee Perry, great reggae artist. I was scanning three LPs worth of Lee Perry to find a song that would be about food, and I found Sawdust. And I said, okay, Sawdust. Maybe a pregnant woman would want to eat that. Mm. So that's how I'm going to end the show. Sorry. Here's Lee Perry and Sawdust. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Coming up in a moment, Arwolf will be here to help you face the music, and perhaps things will make a lot more sense in a few minutes. Thank you.
It's just after 7 o'clock. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is R. Wolf. Welcome to Face the Music. I figured this uh, Rio Brazilian Machiche recorded in 1914 by Joan Sawyer's Persian Garden Orchestra was the the perfect follow-up for Lee Scratch Perry and that marvelous instrumental called Sawdust. Thank you, Mike Perini. Thank you very much to Dr. Ed Space Shuttle for filling in for me for two weeks in a row. Two weeks of special ed, and I'm sure your head is still reeling from it. Whole damn thing. Tonight I have a suitcase full of foolishness and I'm going to 